Hello everyone. Welcome to episode number 7 of our series in which we are studying end times Bible prophecy, based upon the series we have titled the Bible Prophecy Masterclass. In this, which might be considered part 2 of the discussion begun in episode number 6, we will be covering Ezekiel 38 verses 4 to 23. In so doing, we will continue to build upon and to develop the fact that God's re-establishment of the nation of Israel and His promise of blessing will, by His design, be anything but a bed of roses for the chosen people. Driven by an unquenchable malice and an insatiable desire for something endemic to the land that Israel sits upon, a desire that God defines as hooks through the nose, we will see that God Himself takes full responsibility for the death-dealing assault to which the Jews are about to be subjected, this will be a pernicious, calculated assault that could potentially see the Jews wiped off the face of the earth, at long last, if left unchecked and allowed to run its course. As usual, the text for this study is Volume 2 of the series called Judgment Day, Israel Catapulted to Global Superpower, the writer of said series being Mr. Alvin Mitchell, and, I am Liam, your affable host. Once more, we invoke the blessing of God upon this and all of the studies to come in this highly informative and instructive series. Ezekiel 38 verses 4-23 Genocide Russia's Day of Reckoning Thus far, we now have at the very least a much better idea of where Magog is, and who its people are, those of Meshech and Tubal. Though we have no specific identity in today's terms, we know that in terms of role and function, this person identified and singled out by God as Gog is or, serves as none other than the head or, first over the princes and chiefs, or, leaders of the states, sections or regions, of the land of Magog known as Meshech and Tubal. It is worthy of note, in addition, that, no specific charge is brought against any specific ancient people, as in, those in occupation of the land, before its present occupants, for any specific ancient wrongs, perpetrated by this ancient people against the Jew. The chief reason for that in all likelihood is because at the time that God sent Ezekiel out to make the proclamation, there was no such people in existence, although some portion of the land of Magog has been inhabited, throughout millennia, by one, or more, nomadic, warring, marauding group or the other. There appear to be no reliable records, and nothing else in the Bible alludes to that region or its people. At any rate, whatever the case may be, these, strictly speaking, are not the people of his focus. There appears to be no record of any encounter of any kind, biblical or extra-biblical, between the Jews and anyone of that land, up to the time of Christ, except for maybe the Scythians. The prophecy itself then was long-term, meant and tailored for a people who as such did not even exist, yet. Side note. This is not at all inconsistent with the Word of God, where he describes himself, per Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10, as one able to speak of things non-existent as though they were, mark, for recognition, the first or former things from the vanishing point, into eternity past for I am the Almighty, and there is none other, Elohim, God in multiple persons, and there is no one else like me, exposing the last from out of the beginning, and from out of the front, of time, that which is yet to be done. Saying, My plan will stand, I will do all that I desire. God's Plan, The Next Holocaust Sidebar Oddity of Oddities A talented, crafty Khazar, Slav, Viking, Mix, etc., Russia sits upon the world stage like a poverty-stricken blight, 
rich in reality beyond its wildest dreams, the blood of millions of its own citizens, and, many, many Jews under its skirts, probably, mostly Khazar, as well as many Christians, actually, mostly Catholics, it cannot manage its material resources, some of which surpass even those of the U.S., in abundance, or people resources so as to create a peacetime political and economic climate that fosters an industrial base equal to the least of the most prosperous of its European neighbors. Yet it is without a doubt obvious that they are fully prepared and capable. No doubt, then, in addition as there has to be a rational explanation for such a disparity this is per the hand and will of the Almighty, whom they have never known, except in the orthodox version of theological pollution, and perverted remnant of the early church at Rome known as Roman Catholicism, and to presently reject. There is simply no other credible, viable reason as to why a nation so advanced, on the one hand, in many if not all the right areas, should at the same time be so backwards on the other. The largest nation on the planet, maybe the wealthiest, a nation of marauders still more prone and geared for war, than for peacetime initiatives it is a nation preserved by his holy hand for destruction, upon the mountains of Israel. The die for their demise having been cast before they existed as a quantifiable people group, Ezekiel 38 verse 17, the type being now set handwriting on the wall in his sights, they are but a people, as it were, of dead men walking. Having garnered the attention of his prophetic mailman, 38-1-3, the self-existing Eternal One would have this God fully apprised of his sore displeasure with him and his people, as he proceeds to unfold his plan. To him the message reads, This is what Adonai Jehovah, the Lord above all others, who exists eternally, has to say to you, Consider. Gog head of the chiefs or princes of Meshech and Tubal with you, I have an axe to grind, and a bone to pick, verse 3. In verse 4, the prophet informs the condemned of God's intent to force him to beat a hasty retreat, to coerce him to consider returning to the point of the origin of his ill-fated assault, after he, the Lord God the Almighty, has done the honor of instigating the attack, in the first place. My plan is to turn you around, after, putting a ring through your nose, so as to provoke you to attack with a strong, well-equipped, well-armed multinational army of numerous troops. The word in the Hebrew that means hook is vav, pronounced va. All the supposed new translations of the Bible follow the old King James in that they translate or use the plural of this word, hooks. That is not the word that God used, however, nor is it the word that Ezekiel wrote. The actual Hebrew word employed is the term chach, pronounced cock. The term does not mean hook as through the jaw, as when a fish searches for food, only to find itself caught with a fisherman's hook through its jaw. Rather, chach actually means ring, as through the nose or lip, as when someone else has control of another, and, therefore has the power and the authority to dictate his actions and reactions. One can only assume at this point that, as the translations imply, chach is in fact plural. Slaves in some ancient cultures were sometimes led, in shackles, with rings through their noses. Thus, the idea here is one of subjugation to the will of God. Magog will have no choice but to respond, when God tugs on his nose ring. Obviously, the rings through the nose, is a figure of speech meant to convey the notion that God will use some sort of an assortment of natural lures to draw this people into his trap. 
the implication seems to be such that God will create a situation or system of lures based upon needs and wants from which Magog will not be able to set itself free, without doing itself great harm. It cannot avoid seeking satisfaction of its itch at Israel's expense, even if it wanted to, pulling away from rings through the nose or lip would be just as detrimental as the attack will be, there is no potential for slipping off, as might be the case with a hook through the jaw. Now that we know Magog to be Russia, and given that we know something about the Russians in terms of their needs, goals, aspirations and insecurities, in these eschatological days, one should not have too much difficulty guessing, approximately at least, what those lures might be, see a crude awakening in Gog's plan, pp 79 and 80. There are several pungent possibilities, as we shall see, as of today, October 20, 2022, the current ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine gives perhaps a glimpse of what the Russian-led invasion of Israel will look like in the not-too-distant future. Of course, given that all of Europe is at present wary of the fact that they may as well have to fight the Russians, there will have to be a turning of the tables, also at some point in the future so that there is an alliance of Russia with its present-day enemies and the Arab and Muslim world to the south. No doubt, the key to this potential turning point will be due to the fact of a mutual bond between the EU nations and the Russians involving Europe's heavy dependence upon Russian oil and gas, and, Russia's need to buttress its own fledgling economy by its energy sales to the EU. The Beginning of the End The instigation phase, which is to precede the actual advance of Gog, who at the time of the pronouncement of his judgment, did not exist, was not to be for quite a long time, it has been roughly 2,500 years now, since the prophecy was first given. Nor will this be something, ultimately, that this Gog will take upon himself arbitrarily or automatically. He is to expect a visitation, a moment of provocation, as it were, at a point in history which presents, not so much the end of time itself, as, the end of time as we know it. All this will occur after a great deal of time has elapsed, in the last years or days. This indicates that Gog's response to God's provocation will itself mark the beginning of the end of time, as we know it, insofar as, once he sets foot upon the mountains of Israel, it will not be long from that point until the appearance of Israel's Messiah. Verses 8, 16, You will be visited after many days, in the end or last years, I will bring you against my land, the one bought back from the sword, whose people are gathered out of the nations. Moreover, while there is no record of it elsewhere in Scripture nor have we been given any other mention God gives assurance that this doomsday prediction relative to the future fate of the armies of the Russian Federation, and those of its allies, is not the only one, nor is it new. Verse 17, This is what the Lord, the eternally existent one has to say, Are you not the one of whom I spoke in times past, by my servants the prophets, who spoke in those days, over many years, saying that I would eventually bring you against them? See Appendices E and F for more discussion as to the why of the Russian plight, and why God might subject his newly resettled people to such danger, pages 149 to 176. Global Antisemitism The Russian Federation's assault on the Israelis will not be a solo effort, as the attack will be multi-pronged, involving an overwhelming, multilateral force of various nations, it should be noted that the enticement here proposed is not to the battle at Armageddon. The chief reason or the motivational force relative to each is ultimately the same, i.e., 
God himself takes full credit for instigation of both the Russo-EU-Arab attack and the Battle of Armageddon. Satan and several of his unclean minions will lead in the reassembly of the nations in favor of the beast after God destroys his kingdom in phase one of the Battle of Armageddon, although in the end, they can only act as God permits them to. Thus God's beef will in the finale be with many nations, as Russia's allies will also join in to assist in her belligerence. At the moment that Russia launches its incursion, anti-Jew sentiment will not just be rampant, it will truly be global dangerous and deadly in the extreme whether outright, actively or, indirectly by consent. Practically all of Europe and almost all the Muslim nations will be represented. No one will come to Israel's rescue, if we can safely assume, from the reactions of Tarshish and Sheba and Dedan, that the rest of the world is well aware of this bloodthirsty multinational assault, then China, Japan and all of the East, India, all of Africa, South America, Australia will all lend their voices of approval by doing positively nothing. Verses 5 and 6, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya, all well-armed, along with Gomer and all his bands, and, the house of Tagarma, and all his bands, who live in the northernmost quarters. Certain of these groups of invaders present a bit of a challenge in terms of a positive ID in today's terms, Gomer and Tagarma in particular. Persia, in general, is modern Iran, however, during the days of Ezekiel, this region was not the force to be reckoned with. It had never seen the light of day as a nation or empire, of any substance. Rather, Babylon, Mesopotamia, or, modern-day Iraq, was the power of that day, although as such it was in fact on its last leg Belshazzar, its last king having been left with the assurance, from the supreme high god, the dominate one and master of heaven, that it would fall and never rise again. The god-sent Medo-Persian sword, led by the Persians, brought down the Babylonian empire, taking up residency, so to speak, in its place, so that it was these Persians, today's Iran, God had in mind when Ezekiel's prophecy was issued. Thus, in today's terms, those in the consortium of invaders coming into Israel will in all likelihood include modern-day Iraq, making for a coalition of forces, most explosive, since the Iraqis and the Iranians are not on the best of terms being Sunni and Shiite Muslims, respectively. Ethiopia, whether or not it includes today's nation by that name, is actually modern Sudan, Libya is put, Gomer and Tagarma are believed to have been located in the region known as the Anatolia, or modern Turkey. Sidebar. More specifically, Gomer is nowadays identified with the Western European people group known as the Celts, Celts. During the days of Ezekiel the prophet, and from around 1000 BC to a few centuries AD, they, these Celts, i.e., Gomer, occupied a very respectably large area, which included the British Isles, a portion of western Turkey and huge territory in between those extremities, from Germany in the north to northern Spain and Portugal in the south. The Germans of course are remnants of the Goths out of Scandinavia, assimilating some Celtic culture as they moved in and settled, but that region of Europe known as France is said to have been first occupied by the Celts, according to a Wikipedia online article on the Celts, in an article specifically on the French, however, they are said to be Germanic, which means they are of the people from which sprang the Goths, who came much later. Avid, literal headhunters who sometimes fought stark naked, in the lower ranks, like wild animals in battle, 
and who engaged in human sacrifice, superstitiously treasuring the severed heads of their enemies as objects of worship, prayer, and as good luck charms when placed on poles in front of their homes, Gomer the Celts was known to be a very savage and barbaric but dominate force in their early years. While that which is identifiably Celtic today is largely confined to the British Isles Brittany, Cornwall, Ireland, Isle of Man, Scotland, and Wales, the people who populated the White South during colonial days, are said to have been from the lower classes of the stock of these peoples, not the Anglo-Saxons, that to which the prophet is most likely to have reference in terms of the Gomer, and his bands who will come against Israel in the latter days is likely to be most, if not all those. People groups in occupation of the old Celtic stumping grounds, as defined above, possibly including the British, though they may not have been, and most likely were not in existence in the days of Ezekiel. It will most likely be that modern-day, growing coalition of nations calling itself the European Union, which interestingly, is said to have voted recently to exclude language relative to God from its constitution in so many words, like the Zionists in Israel, their aim is to promote a union of states, geared for and committed to secularism, or, secular living void of any knowledge of or the active promotion of the idea of a supreme being much less the God of the Bible, though it is suggested that there will apparently be some measure of freedom and flexibility in religion. Though there are tensions at this hour between the Russians and the EU, and, between the Russians and the Persians, this is the coalition of nations whose armies the God of the Bible, God of the Jews, who is openly rejected by all, will draw to his banqueting feast, a deadly snare prepared upon the mountains of Israel a trap set to spring in these last days. Common consensus relative to Tagarma suggests that it is that region known variously today as the Anatola which is Armenia, or modern-day Turkey. Needless to say, except for Russia itself and Gomer, all these who form what might be termed the secondary thrust of the assault on Israel, are Islamic nations. Thus, we see that in addition to the Russia's modern-day federation, the world of the Muslim and Islam was also uppermost in the eyes of Adonai Jehovah approximately 800 to 1,000 years before Muhammad. Sidebar Neither this perverse form of Christianity nor its founder had been born at the time of the rise of the Persians. In the face of over one billion spiritually blind adherents worldwide, the 1948 and 1967 Jewish victories, the Jews own many faults and shortcomings notwithstanding, over them stand as pinnacles and beacons, if not icons, upon and above the world's horizon in terms of what has, can and will be done as per the will and word of the living and true God. The debilitating and humiliating blow dealt during the Russian invasion should and no doubt will lay bare the vast resources of crude, natural gas, coal, and other valuables of both the primary parties, to the satisfaction of all the Jews' needs, see 39.10. In addition, it will doubtless also clear the way for the demise and removal of the Dome of the Rock, which is without question a sore vexation of soul and sight to the Holy One of Israel, as it is said to stand a present impediment to any future rebuilding project upon the old site of the Temple of Solomon, although there are claims that the actual site of his temple is at another location. It, like the people of God and the nation itself, is to, and will, per the word of God, rise again, from the ash heaps of time. All the Muslims rely, or have been known to have relied in the past to some degree upon Russia for military arms and weaponry, it is the Russian who at this hour is responsible for supplying the Persians, Iran, with the nuclear hardware and know-how to build nuke reactors from which they hope, after a period of agitation and threats, 
to extract enough enriched uranium based upon which to construct nuke-tipped missile warheads capable of hitting both Israel and the U.S. Making matters worse and a bit more interesting, having demonstrated as of April 9, 2006 that Iran could enrich uranium using a contraption of 164 centrifuges, exactly one year later, Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad standing before the world that perhaps should be a bit more nervous proclaimed themselves proud members of the International Nuke Club by virtue of the successful installment of 3,000 centrifuges, which will allow them to produce enriched uranium now on what he calls an industrial scale. So-called experts affirm that we do not have much to worry about, given that bomb-grade uranium requires up to 50,000 to 60,000 centrifuges, but how hard can it be, and how long can it take for them to install that many more, since, as of August 3, 2012, six years later, no one can stop them. As of today, March 24, 2014, Ahmadinejad has been voted out of office for quite some time, and, things are much quieter in Tehran, but still, no one trusts the Iranians. Celebration of this milestone for them was marked by ringing of school bells nationwide, a human chain of 200 students in Tehran around Iran's AEO, chanting, Death to America, Death to Great Britain, as nuke negotiator Larajani gave assurance to the West that Iran's nuke initiative is on the ballot to stay, so get over it, and get used to it. Today, April 1507, it was revealed that in addition to the nuclear plant in operation at Natanz, and, in addition to another 40-megawatt heavy water plant currently under construction at Iraq, and groundbreaking for a 360-megawatt unit at Darkhoven. They are now seeking bidders on yet two more 1,600-megawatt light water systems to be built near the town of Boucher. They will require 11 years, at a cost of $1.7 billion to build. Their aim is to be able to produce 20,000 megawatts of power within 20 years. One would think that this should give them more than enough enrichment capability in terms of fuel production with which to run reactors, or, more ominously, to build what doubtless they want most, nuclear warheads. Within 20 years they may well have more than enough to offset the 200 warheads the Jews have. Hence, in part at least, the diplomatic ties and confederacy between them. Russia itself, Slav and Rus Viking old enemies of the Muslims will form the main thrust of the attack, and are of course Greek Orthodox, which is their polluted brand of Roman Catholicism, which is in turn a perversion of, and is commonly referred to erroneously as Christianity, Whenever their ties, it is not likely the Muslims have ever forgotten or forgiven these facts, nor will they ever. Oddly, perhaps, this coalition of offenders comes from all around, but does not include, the Egyptians, or even Saudi Arabia. Ezekiel 38 verse 7 You be prepared, and prepare for yourself, you, and all your company that are assembled around you, and you be a guard to them. Ezekiel 38 verse 8 After many days you shall be visited, in the latter years you shall come into the land that is brought back from the sword, and is gathered out of many people, against the mountains of Israel, which have been always waste, but it is brought forth out of the nations, and they shall dwell safely all of them. In verses 7 and 8 all of these nations are encouraged to get themselves pumped, psyched up, so as to be ready. They will be led into the mountains of Israel at a time when the nation will be living in peace and relative safety. At no time during the 1,878 years that elapsed between the day of the Diaspora in 70 AD and Israel's declaration of independence in March 1948, 
did this tiny, virtually inconspicuous, but, today, globally recognized little country exist on world maps as an internationally acknowledged, independent state. In spite of the fact that the Word of God gave clear and definitive proclamation such that it would, no one felt that was just or justifiable cause for speculation that it would certainly not the Arabs, not the British, or the American, no one believed. As of 1910 to 1915, no government in the world was ready to sign off on the possibility that the state of Israel might be reborn. A fact of life and history now for the past 59 years, against all odds and the voices of many a die-hard skeptic, her persistent presence relieves all, or should relieve all, of any lingering doubts and skepticism regarding expectation of the Russo-Euro-Muslim attack, and or the rest of God's eschatological prophetic word. It is the words of the naysayers that have failed. God's word has never failed to materialize. Verses 9, You will come up like a storm, and you will be like a cloud covering the land, you and all your armies, and multitudes of people with you. 2,500 years ago, in those days, approximately, when Ezekiel pinned this prophecy, there were no airplanes. Thus, he, not unlike Daniel, had no way of visualizing, no way of knowing the substance, the gravity, the weight, or the implications of the visions of which he was being shown. We know today however because we know the value of air power in any modern military campaign without doubt this is a reference to an overpowering, preemptive first, air, strike to neutralize the IDF's air force so as to establish air superiority over unsuspecting Israeli skies. In their secular, godless minds and eyes, as if watching a hairy Houdini in action, since the diaspora, they have time and again witnessed this little speck of a people frail, always so invitingly vulnerable slipping through the cold cruel fingers of death, stained and bloodied by the life fluid of millions not fortunate enough to make it, narrowly escaping the crushing, relentless bite of its otherwise vice-like, murderous, killer jaws, and more recently worming and warring its way. Militarily out of situations that should have been impossible to survive. With renewed vigor and an ironclad fist they will come, therefore, determined to see to it that there is no repeat, not this time. All indications are, such that the initiative will be thoroughly premeditated, well-oiled, totally unannounced, and unprovoked. While scarcely a day goes by but that our ears are not bombarded with the news of the Persian-slash-Muslim-Arab world's burning desire for Jewish blood, the Jews will be altogether unaware and unprepared for this Russian-led assault, as it will come without warning. Today's and perhaps tomorrow's trade and diplomatic relations between the two countries might provide just the right mix for the cover that the Russian Federation will need to lull the Jews and the rest of the world into a kind of sleepy stupor so as to launch their offensive before anyone is any the wiser, not that there is likely to be anyone who actually cares. There will likely be no one on tap willing to, or who can, stop them, why? See discussion on Chapter 18, of the Revelation. Given current economic crisis affecting every major power globally and their need for crude, most readily accessible and most plentiful in that part of the world, Saudi Arabia alone has one quarter of the world's oil reserves, 260 billion barrels, proven. And, on that observation, ladies and gentlemen, we will end this edition of the Bible Prophecy Master Class. We hope that you will make plans to be with us next time, when we will pick up here in episode number 8 of this podcast. As we close and depart, please remember to give us a like and please do tell others about us. Until we come together again, may the good Lord bless you.